Discord. Good afternoon, producer Susan. How's life treating you these days? I'm doing well, Jersey Joe. How are you? I'm great, thank you. What, three weeks or two and a half weeks to Labor Day? Yep. Summer's almost gone. So. Yep. Well, the official end of summer is not until, uh, what, September 21st, 22nd? Yeah, the, uh, was that, is that going to be the, uh, the autumnal equinox? Yes. Okay. All right. September 20th. We'll have to check that up as we get closer. All right. We got a, a jam, as usual, jam packed today. I doubt I'm going to fit this all in, but I'll tell you what I'm going to try to talk about. Uh, by the way, today's um, August 15th, uh, middle of the month. Our quote of the week is from a former president and general Ulysses S. Grant on the pride of labor well done. And we're going to marry that with a quote by the late Martin Luther King on the related topic. In our stupidest thing I've heard all week segment, we have a claim by a, a, a Princeton University professor that being black in America should qualify you as disabled. Uh, have you heard that one? No. Okay. We'll we'll compare how the government. I don't know if you do you know who uh, ever heard the name Leona Helmsley? Yeah, back she was like the. Uh, I forget exactly what she was indicted for, but she was like the shoe queen in New York City. No, no, no. You're thinking of Imelda Margo. No, she was oh, a real estate. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She was, she was a, real a real estate, estate mogul. She right? owned hotels yeah. and office buildings and whatnot. She was a, and um, her they, they were a millionaire. Her husband passed away, and she was running this enormous real estate. Uh, 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 conglomerate in New York, multi-millionaire. Anyway, she was arrested for and uh, for and tried for tax evasion. And we'll tell you, we'll compare how she was treated versus how they have treated Hunter Biden so far, and compare what she got as a sentence versus the deal that was offered to Hunter Hunter Biden. Um, we'll tell you about a bill sponsored by House Democrats that would add a thousand percent. Uh, federal excise tax on some guns and, ma and gun, gun magazines. In a related story, we'll tell you the latest Democrat tactic aimed at preventing people from either obtaining or retaining their concealed weapon carry permits. Uh, we'll tell you about the flash mobs that during the past weeks have been raiding and stealing from high-end stores in the LA area. And in just two robberies, They've stolen almost a half a million dollars worth of high-end goods in just six days. Again, this is where 30 to 50 people swarm into a store with garbage bags, start stuffing stuff in garbage bags. They're gone in five minutes um, and, you know, leaving, the, you know, with hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they've done this twice in the L.A. area in just the past six days. Um, in our, you didn't hear this on the news this week segment. Um, did you hear in the news? Did you see in the news where a very famous billionaire donated a hundred million dollars of his own money to the Maui vic to the victims of the Maui fire in Hawaii? Did you see that? Uh, no, but uh, I'm I'm glad they those those poor people they need it that they're right. just devastated in Maui. And don't you think that normally would have been news that somebody gave a hundred million dollars to the victims? Yeah, that money would go would go pretty far in Maui right now. Right. So that should have been a big story, not a peep from the news media. We'll tell you who the billionaire was, and we'll ask why the media decided you didn't need to hear about it. Um, you have an iPhone, don't you? I do. We'll tell you about an iPhone hack that you can use to um, uh, quickly summon emergency help without having to dial your phone. Are you are you familiar with that one? Um, no, I know there's a couple different ones. Okay, well, we'll tell you one of the one of the simplest and easy ones to do. And our taxpayer relief shot is from Philadelphia, where the intended vi victim 
of a robbery winds up shooting and killing the thug with his own gun. How does that sound? <laughs> Not a good day for the thug, huh? You still there? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So quote of the week from Ulysses S. Grant. And he said, and again, I'm going to marry this was a quote from the late Martin Luther King. And Ulysses S. Grant said, labor disgraces no man, but you occasionally find men who disgrace labor. So any reaction to that? <laughs> true, true. Have you ever seen people who are just do such a poor job or so it's clear they don't want to do the work. They do mm -hmm. a crappy job that, you know, they, I mean, I'm embarrassed. You know, you ever see somebody and you're, or you ever work with somebody and you're literally embarrassed by how badly and carelessly they're doing the work they're supposed yep. to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's go back to Martin Luther King, who I believe was assassinated in 1968, but uh, he said this was his famous street, street sweeper speech. Have you ever heard that one? I don't believe I've heard that particular speech. Okay. Well, here he talks about the pride of doing your, your job well done. And what Martin Luther King said in that famous speech, he said, if a man is called on to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or as Beethoven, Beethoven composed music or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Wasn't that just a great perspective yeah. on, on taking pride in your work? Yeah. So, so we actually kind of had two quotes of the week. One was from Ulysses says Grant and the other MLK. But again, no matter what your job, you should take pride in doing it well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and by the way, I, I recognize when people do, no matter how ugly, nasty, uh, you would think, uh, not a great accomplishment. I always recognize jobs well done. Um, somebody I'll tell you the story about a, a young 16-year-old uh, black kid I hired to, to hire help unload hay. He'd never done it before. And it's a grueling, dirty, messy job. And when that kid got done stacking hay in my barn, um, I went out of my way to let him know that I really rec appreciated and recognized how, how hard he worked and how much effort he put into doing that job uh, correctly, even though it was his first time. All right. Um, and the stupidest thing I've heard all week, the winner is a Princeton University class curriculum slated for the upcoming fall semester that claims, and this is in the course outline, that Black people should be considered disabled due to the purported systemic racism they face. And that's according to information that's published in the course description. The class is taught by a professor who specializes in women, gender, and sexuality studies, and her name is Sat Satella Larson, and she's featured in a book called Permission to Maim. The book argues that Black people, along with other groups, the author, uh, and the author of that book is Jasper Poir, deemed to be oppressed by systemic racism and can be considered disabled since the supposed structures in place limit their, quote, agency in society. This, this is basically saying, hey, you, the, the odds are stacked against you. You can't succeed. Uh, you're oppressed. Give up now because you can't succeed because society is stacked against you. I think that personally, I think that's insulting to all the successful Black people out there. Uh, any reaction to that? I agree. And also to a school as prominent as Princeton. As, as Princeton. Um, by the way, you know, this thing about systemic racism, you know, how do you define that? I mean, there's, there's 
I don't think there's there's we're always going to have bigots. We're always going to have racists. Mm -hmm. But at what point, you know, there's 325 million people in this in this country. Um, at what point, and assuming that they'll out of those 325, there'll always be some percentage, 10 percent, 5 percent, 2 percent, 3 percent. At what point does the percentage become so small? that it's no longer systemic. I have asked this question over and over and over. How do you measure systemic racism? And if you can't measure it, how do you know when it no longer exists? Because let's assume that 50 years from now, uh, there's still one third of 1%, which would be uh, 1 million. There's 1 million racists out of 325 million people. If there's 1 million bigoted racists in this country, is it are we still a nation where quote systemic racism exists? Does one one third of one percent qualify as systemic racism? I, I don't know what that answer is. Well, nobody can tell me. So I'm saying, okay, you keep saying we need to eliminate systemic racism, but you can't tell me how it's measured, and you can't tell me what the threshold is when it ceases to exist. So please stop talking to me about systemic racism if you can't quantify it and tell me. Uh, when we can overcome it. Because if you're going to fight something, you need to know where the goalposts are. So if you're going to uh, fight against systemic racism, you need to have some way of telling when you've won the battle. Anyway, that's my rant on systemic racism. All right. So let's talk about Leona Helmsley, the real estate tycoon who was uh, uh, charged with tax evasion. By the way, she was charged. Know who prosecuted her for tax evasion? I don't recall. That was that was uh, I was a kid when that happened. 1988. And the prosecutor was a guy then by the name. He was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District. You probably never heard of him. His name was Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> <laughs> Have heard of Rudy Giuliani? A few times. Well, in 1988, before he was mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani was a federal attorney. He was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District. Uh, and he initiated a felony. And, and this is important. He initiated a felony prosecution of Manhattan real estate developer, Leona Helmsley for tax evasion. That trial ended with her conviction and she was sentenced to a prison term of four years plus 750 hours of community service and fined $7.1 million. Now by contrast, US attorney uh, David Weiss, rather than decide to pursue felony charges against Hunter Biden for willfully for two consecutive years, failing to report uh, uh, millions of dollars in income and, and evading 1.5 million in taxes, he decided to only pursue misdemeanor charges instead of felony charges. And in the plea deal that was offered, you know how many years of jail time was he was offered in that plea deal? How many? Zero. <laughs> so, uh, so Leona Helmsley was. Uh, was uh, subject of a felony prosecution, spent four years in jail. Hunter Biden was offered a deal uh, on misdemeanor tax mm -hmm. evasion, no jail time and just, you know, probation. And all he had to do was pay back the taxes and interest that he didn't pay. He didn't get a $7 million fine. Um, so now good to know. Anyway, it's good to know we live in a country where justice is blind and your last name doesn't have any impact on the penalty you receive for breaking the law. Now, in, in a related story, you've heard that um, Attorney General Merrick Garden has appointed a special prosecutor to uh, take over. And of course, that plea deal, the judge threw out the plea deal. And just to recap, so in the in the hearing 
two weeks ago, or maybe it was three weeks ago, where Hunter Biden was pleading guilty to those misdemeanor tax evasion charges in exchange for this plea deal, the uh, the judge says um, there's an immunity provision in this plea deal. Is that does this provision means that he would also be immune from prosecution for any other crimes he may have committed? Um, and there's back and forth, and uh, and the district and the uh, assistant attorney said, uh, no, you know, that's not the intent. And Biden's attorney says, that's absolutely the intent. You know, this plea deal is supposed to absolve him and make him, because he's also being investigated, by the way, as an unregistered foreign agent. He was he was clearly representing uh, foreign entities, both for China and the Ukraine, and he hadn't registered as a foreign agent. That's a felony, by the way. People have gone mm -hmm. to jail for being an unregistered foreign agent. Well, the judge said, well, the way this thing is worded, it looks like if uh, if, if uh, we enter this, if I accept this agreement, he would be immune from prosecution for any other crimes that are still under investigation. And she said, this is unacceptable. Go back and do it over. So anyway, so since that plea deal was thrown out and that, that that case then is still active because the plea deal wasn't settled, Attorney General Merrick Gardner said, OK, we're going to assign a, a special counsel uh, to take over this investigation. And do you know who the special counsel was? Who? Turn, uh, U.S. Attorney Giuliani? David Weiss, <laughs> the same guy who offered him this sweetheart deal. And let me tell you, in doing so, Garland has violated the Department of Justice's own rules regarding the appointment of special counsel. The, the Department of Justice Regulation 600.3 states in part, and this is very, very important, it's the qualifications of a special prosecutor, which is also known as special counsel. And here's a quote from their own regulations. An individual named as special counsel shall be a lawyer with a reputation for integrity and impartial decision making and with appropriate experience to ensure that both that the investigation will be conducted ably, expeditiously and thoroughly and that the investigative and prosecutorial decisions will be supported by an informed understanding of criminal law and the Department of Justice policies. And here's the, here's the big one. The special counsel shall be selected from outside the United States government. Well, guess what? Uh, David Weiss is a, is a U.S. Attorney General. He is not from outside the U United States government. Do you know, does the name Robert Mueller ring a bell? Yeah, the uh, the uh, Russian collusion guy, Robert yeah. Mueller was a was a retired FBI director, and at the time he was appointed special counsel on the Russian collusion investigation, he was not in the employ of the U.S. government. He wasn't reporting to anybody. Nobody could tell him what he could and couldn't investigate and how he did it. Well, David Weiss reports to Merrick Garland, who reports to to Joe Biden. So. <laughs> So here you have a special counsel who, number one, is not qualified to be a special counsel because he's in violation because he's an employee. And he reports to the guy who can tell him what to do and not what to do. Uh, it, it's just so. So my two questions regarding the appointment of Weiss are, number one, why did Merrick Garland, our attorney general, choose him in clear violation of the Department of Justice's own regulations? And two, why is the media not asking that same question? Have you heard yeah. the media? raise this issue have you heard no not at all i think this is this is definitely uh conspiracy level uh <laughs> I, I mean I, I mean am i the only one who knows that that uh david weiss 
is not qualified to be special counsel. And what is the media? Is the media just clueless or do they know about this and decided, no, we don't want to ask. I mean, question. it's clearly one plus two equals three here. I mean, <laughs> so, so you got to ask yourself, um, you know, is the media just that clueless, ignorant and clueless, or do they know he's in, he's not qualified to be special counsel. And if they know, why aren't they asking the question? Yeah. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, Anyway, so let's talk about this almost qualifies as the uh, could have qualified as the stupidest thing I've heard all week. So 12 Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives have introduced legislation that would impose a 1000 percent excise tax on certain guns and gun gun magazines. When I say magazines, not paper magazines, but the magazines that hold the yeah. bullets. Now, so let's talk about what a thousand percent excise tax would be. That means if you had a if you were looking to buy a nice rifle for 800 bucks, well, a thousand percent excise tax on $800 gun would be $8,000 in taxes, which means that $800 gun, when you add in the $8,000, would be $8,800 before you could walk out the door with a gun. Now, how many people do you think would be willing or even able to pay that amount of money for for a rifle? Not at all. No, I, nobody None. in their mind would. Even Zero. If they could. Zero. I, I I don't know many people who can afford it. And even the few people I know can afford it, they'd say, screw that. I'm not going to pay $8,800 for an $800 gun. Now, do those individuals who are sponsoring that piece of legislation even understand the legal meanings of the words shall not be infringed in the Second Amendment? Don't you think mm-hmm. a special punitive thousand percent excise tax would qualify as an infringement? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, now, by the way, I, that will never see the light of day, uh, even if it gets a vote, you know, with the Republicans in, in controlling the House, it'll never even make it out of the House. But, you know, you got to ask yourself, why do they do these things? Are they that stupid that they, when they don't? When they do these things, they're just forcing things to the black market. Well, I mean, it's never going to become law, but you guess you got to ask yourself, they probably knew that this bill would die, you know, die in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to ask yourself, are they that stupid that they don't know that even if the bill passed, it, it, it would be struck down about 90 seconds after it passed? Yeah. You know, somebody would, you know, somebody would get an injunction to go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court would look at it and say, are you idiots? Are you idiots serious? Do yeah. you not understand the meaning of the word shall not be infringed? Because clearly that's an infringement. Mm-hmm. So, um. So, so that was the latest. And so when people say, nobody's trying to take your guns away. Well, if they prevent you from buying a gun, that's the same thing as taking your guns. Mm-hmm. So now uh, in a related story, <laughs> uh, in, a related, in addition to trying to keep people from getting guns, Democrats apparently want to keep people from carry, carrying guns. And I became a, uh, a victim of this. So, uh, as I think I may have mentioned, you know, uh, well, for 25 years in Colorado, I had a concealed weapons carry permit. 25 years, responsible gun owner, never shot anybody, you know, and moved to New Jersey. And when I first got here, I went to apply for a concealed carry permit. And the state of New Jersey basically said, don't bother, we don't give those out. Okay. I kind of stunned, but they said, don't bother, we don't give those out. Anyway, last summer, Supreme Court came out with something called the Bruin, B-R-U-E-N, Bruin decision, which told states like New Jersey, New York, 
Massachusetts, Connecticut. Hey, you can't do that. People have the right to keep and bear, bear meaning to carry arms. And you cannot just flatly deny them their constitutional right to carry a gun. So you need to start issuing concealed carry permits to qualified uh, qualified uh, residents or citizens of your state. Well, the state seized on that qualified and they said, well, you know, okay, if we have to do this, we're going to make it as brutally difficult as possible. We're going to have all sorts of background checks, you know, references, mental health records checks, and we're going to tack on a oh, gun safety course and we're going to tack on a shooting proficiency test which by the way, I think we've already talked, there's currently 26 states where you don't even need a, need a permit, right? We've talked about this. Yep, yep. So in 26 other states, more than half the states, you don't even need a permit. But the state of New Jersey said, oh, no, if you want a permit, you got to take all these tests and pass these courses. And one was a shooting proficiency test uh, where you had to shoot at targets as far away as 25 yards, which as we said previously in podcasts, you can only shoot if you are... <clears throat> in fear of your life or serious bodily injury, if you're 25 yards away from me, <clears throat> you are no threat to me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be shooting at you if you're 25. Now, if you're four yards away from me and you've got a knife in your hand, yeah, I, I'm probably going to shoot you. But if you're 25 yards away, you are. there's no reason I'm going to shoot you from 25 yards. Anyway, so I took and passed that ridiculous test last November. Three months later, they issued me my concealed carry permit. And then two weeks ago, I get a notice my local sheriff department saying, hey, you know that permit we gave you in February? Well, uh, the state attorney general has decided that the old test you took wasn't hard enough. And uh, they've come out with a new test standard. And if you don't take and pass the new test between now and October 1st, uh, we're going to re your permit's going to be revoked and it's going to be null and void. So uh, I looked at this new test and what they substituted was the state police qualifying test which is a ridiculous standard for somebody with a concealed carry permit. The, the New Jersey State Police, you know, is based upon you're a cop, you're under fire from somebody with a rifle. It has you shooting one-handed from a kneeling position. It assumes you've been wounded in your right shoulder and you have to shoot with your left hand. It has you doing a quick draw. It has you reloading, changing magazines. Um, and by the way, so changing magazine is when you've shot so many times You've exhausted all the bullets in your gun. You have to put a fresh magazine in. I don't think I've ever heard in the history of concealed carry where a concealed weapons carry uh, holder has ever fired more than three shots. So the, the the mere concept of a concealed weapons carry permit having to fire all 10 rounds in his guns and having to reload is something that has never happened to my knowledge. Yet that's part of the test where you have to fire, eject your magazine, reload a fresh magazine and continue firing all within 15 seconds, an incredibly tough standard for somebody who's not a police officer. Um, well, needless to say, I went and took and passed that new test. Oh, it you did? Congratulations. Thank you. But here's the thing. I had, it already had cost me more than $150 to pass the previous test. Now I had to take the new test and you add in the cost of ammunition and, and travel and fuel it cost me another $200 to pass this new test. So I've taken two shooting proficiency tests in 10 months for a grand total of almost $400. Clearly Democrats don't want poor people to be able to carry concealed weapons because if you don't own a car, you can't travel to these shooting ranges, which are not on any public transportation routes. Uh, you don't have $400 to blow on taking a test. 
Um, but that's that's what I had to go through. And it's it's clearly nothing more than an attempt by the Democrat politicians to prevent people from either obtaining or retaining a concealed weapons carrier permit. Now, there's been some lawsuits filed claiming there's a legal term called called arbitrary and capricious. And there's been a lawsuit filed claiming that these new test standards are arbitrary, capricious and unnecessary. And the lawsuit is seeking an injunction uh, that would prohibit the state from imposing this new test. But I didn't know how long that was going to take. Uh, didn't know if that was if the injunction was going to be issued or it was going to if so if it was going to happen before October war. So I went and took the test anyway. So, so let me ask you. I, I I understand that after you did get your original New Jersey permit, you went to, since you travel a lot back and forth to Pennsylvania. You went and got a Pennsylvania test how, permit. How how was that test and how much did that cost you? Um, there was no test and it took me twenty and it, it I applied online and paid my twenty six dollars. I filled out the form. Uh, I submitted the test on, I submitted the application at 8.30 in the morning and at 10.30, two hours later, same morning, I got an email back saying your permit's been approved. Uh, come in and so we can take your picture and give you your permit. <laughs> so no, no test. test and $26. No test and $26 in two hours. In New Jersey, it was six months and eight days. And between the fingerprinting costs, the reference checks, the shooting proficiency test, my my permit cost me it was six months and eight days and cost me about five hundred dollars in new jersey and, and new pennsylvania was two hours and 26 dollars now in all and, fairness i i do think that there i think that pennsylvania may be a little bit lax yeah i, I think there should be at least you know some gun safety uh yeah. i think there should be some basic proficiency test that you can actually hit a target at i don't know what you think might be fair 50 feet well, I think, uh, you know, seven yards is 21 feet is typically the same. Hey, beyond 21 feet, you know, the person's not a threat to you. So the typical test would be, I think, shooting at three yards, five yards, and seven yards. And that you know how to properly load and unload. Good load and, and unload, uh, yes. A basic, but yeah. you had mentioned a gun safety course. I think those are basic right. things you learn in a gun safety course. So I think there, there should be some level of proficiency right. there. So, right. you know. And right. I do agree, by the way. In fact, I chastise the state of New Jersey that there was no requirement why they put this shooting proficiency test. There was no requirement to learn about the laws governing use of force. Now, when I took my hunter safety course in New Jersey, it was an online course. It was very well done. It was 10 modules and they took you through, you know, all the different gun safety thing, hunting gun safety, how to carry a gun, how to load a gun, how to cross a fence with a gun. And at the end of each module, you know, there was a 10 question test. And then mm -hmm. at the end of the 10 modules, there was a summary test which recaptured a lot of the stuff. I believe the state of New Jersey and all states should make uh, concealed weapons uh, carry permit applicants at least take an online test so they become familiar with the the laws regarding the use of force. You know, when and where mm -hmm. can you and can't you use deadly force? For instance, if you look out your window and somebody's trying to steal your boat, in no state can you go outside and shoot the person because you cannot use deadly force to protect, you know, property, um, you know, and a lot of people don't know that. Well, he was trying to steal my boat. I shot him. No, if you shot him because he was trying to steal your boat, you you just committed a homicide. Mm -hmm. uh, now, and, if you're in the boat, no, if you're in your boat, story. that's something different. This is different. All right, all right. You want to move on to flash mobs? Yeah. All right. So you know, we've talked the ones. Uh, I think uh, about a month ago, we talked about the one in up in San Francisco, where I think 26 cars pulled up in front of a Nordstrom's. 
They stopped their cars in the middle of the street blocking traffic. They ran into a Nordstrom's with garbage bags. They ran out of the Nordstrom's, you know, within four or five minutes, jumped into 23 of the 26 cars and fled down the street. And uh, uh, I don't know if you recall, the reason they they only, they, they left three cars, they left three cars which were stolen behind to block the street to keep the police from following them. Do you remember that story? Vaguely, yeah. Yeah. So again, they 50 people run into a Nordstrom's, steal several, several hundred thousand dollars worth of merchandise and flee in waiting cars, leaving three stolen cars behind to block the street. Well, anyway, uh, in a true hold my beer and watch this uh, effort in L.A. in the past week, uh, there's a video that I'm looking at here that showed a, a group of about 50 people uh, running into a, uh, a Nordstrom's uh, with garbage bags and running out with uh, goods estimated to be worth over 100000 Now, that flash mob on Saturday was the second in Los Angeles County in the last week. On August 8th, a similar robbery uh, might have even been the same group. They think it might have been the same group. Happened in the Yves Saint Laurent store um in glendale which is a suburb of la where a massive group ran into the store grabbed around three hundred thousand dollars worth of handbags and clothes before getting into cars and waiting for them nearby and i didn't know this but you know how much a eve saint laurent handbag can cost uh several thousand dollars several thousand you can you can spend 10 grand on eve saint laurent handbag yep. so they stole three hundred thousand dollars worth of handbags and clothes from it so in a week they've they've made off as almost a half a million dollars now first of all if those stores stay in business, who's going to wind up paying the bill for that? I, I would assume that the store would have insurance, but. Well, actually, when, when corporations have insurance, and I know this, they typically have like half million dollar deductibles. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a big corporation like a Nordstrom's, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a half million or a million. So they simply have to pass that cost on to the consumer. Mm -hmm. The other thing that will happen that we've seen in San Francisco is the stores will start to close. They'll say, screw it. We can't stop it. We can't afford to be here. Yeah, uh, we're just going to close, and people can say, "Why are all our stores cl stores closing?" Which, as we saw in in San Francisco, the hotels are closing, the shopping mm -hmm. malls are closing, the Nordstroms are closing, the Whole Foods are closing, uh, the movie theaters are closing, and I think you could see that happen in L.A. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about the story you didn't hear on TV. You know who Jeff Bezos is, right? I do. He is the uh, founder of uh, Amazon. Amazon, founder of Amazon. He also owns Whole Foods and he also owns the Washington Post. Well, mm -hmm. this week he announced that he was donating $100 million of his own money, not comp not company money, his own personal money to the victims of the Maui fire. Good for what him, I found astounding is that not a single network news show other than Fox thought that was a, a fit to mention that massive act of charity. And it's the biggest, I, I, I don't recall a, a larger charity donation in my lifetime. Can you think of anybody's ever given a hundred million dollars in your lifetime? Uh, no, I, I'm not off the top of my head. I can't think of, uh, no. I know we've had several tragedies, you know, over the last two decades from September 11th to, and I know that some celebrities and other billionaires have donated great sums of money, but I'm not sure if any of them compare to that amount. But, but so I think I think that was a record-setting donation, and not a peep from the media on that hundred million dollar donation. Yeah. Uh, and I did do I did do a Google search, by the way, and the only place I could find it was on Fox. Yeah. All right, since we're running out of time, let's talk yeah. about iPhone hacks. Yeah. Um, and you can you can validate. I don't have an iPhone. You know, I've read that you can program your iPhone that if you click five times on the power button click 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 
the phone will auto dial whether whatever you've told it to do 911 emergency services are you familiar with that hack I, I i did just try it and it did actually pop up and i quickly hit the cancel button <laughs> so it does work it, it does, does work. work i just tried it just now right now and it works all right well so what what did it try to dial 911 uh yeah so well let me see hey, hold on a second let me uh uh either medical emergency or emergency sos so i think if um so some of my medical information is in my iphone so if i were to be in a car accident um an emt could do that and bring up my medical record um to see okay. if i was a diabetic or had epilepsy or, or something like that so yeah. that's another good feature so there was two big buttons one for ems and then one to dial 911 so, all right. So there, all you iPhone users, there's a new hack for your five clicks on your power button. All yeah. right. All right. Um, how much time we got? Uh, you, uh, less than five minutes. All right. Taxpayer relief shot. Um, I'll play this real quick from the uh, sheriff of Santa Rosa town. Tell you why we call them taxpayer relief shots. And here we go. Somebody's breaking in your house, you're more than welcome to shoot them in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. Hopefully, you'll save the taxpayers money. All right, and that's why we call them taxpayer relief shot, because when you shoot and kill the thug, you save the taxpayers the cost of a jury trial and send them the guy to, to prison. So here we have, whoop, I got an ad playing here that I'm going to wait for the ad to end. So in Philadelphia, there's a guy at an ATM, he's inside a smoke store. This is like one o'clock in the morning. It's like an all-night smoke shop where you can buy cigarettes and, and cigars and whatnot. And he's in trying to use the ATM, and a guy, and a guy with a gun comes in and tries to rob him. He's at the ATM taking, he wants the guy's cash. Um, and here's what happens, uh, excuse me. Uh, and, the, and the guy at the ATM is unarmed, but he doesn't stay unarmed. And here's what happens. Here we go. Action News obtained dramatic new video of the moment a customer fought back when a would-be robber confronted him at a Philadelphia smoke shop. Tuesday night, Rick Williams is off. Brian Taff is joining us. The big story on Action News is the terrifying encounter that played out in the Olney neighborhood of the city. Yeah, it only took the customer a matter of seconds to realize what was happening and reach for the robber's gun. Action News reporter Katie Castro live at police headquarters tonight with the video you'll only see right here on Action News. Katie. Ryan and Shari residents we spoke with are really upset by all of this. As you'll see in the video, these were some frightening moments. Exclusive surveillance video obtained by Action News shows the moments the tables were turned on an alleged robber. Philadelphia police say the suspect, believed to be in his early 20s, came into this smoke shop just after 1 a.m. on the 5300 block of 5th Street in Olney. You can see the would-be robber approach a 45-year-old man standing by the ATM. In a split second, the man managed to get the gun away from the suspect and shot him multiple times. I heard two pops and I woke up out of my sleep and I heard somebody scream. The attempted robbery victim hit the suspect in the face with the gun. At the same time, a shot went off and shattered the glass door. The bullet also hit the victim's friend who was standing outside. Then you see the alleged robber bolt out the glass door. I didn't stop because it was taped all off and I just kept going home. I can't believe it. I was like, you know, good thing I got off 
Time I got off. Police caught up with the suspect about two and a half blocks away on the 400 block of West Albany Avenue inside this stolen Toyota. Police say he bled to death from multiple gunshot wounds. Police are still searching for the person who drove the robbery suspect in the Toyota before abandoning the car with the man still inside bleeding. Residents in the neighborhood say they are fed up. So I'm going to end it there. So the thug jumps into the into the stolen car with his accomplice and he's bleeding. The accomplice drives a couple of blocks away and says to his wounded buddy, well, say you've been nice knowing you. I'm leaving. <laughs> How many times have we seen that? Yeah. So so the thugs. But but what a bad you go into rob a guy and he whips around and grabs your arm and takes the gun, shoots you with your own gun while you're fighting back. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a, is that the very definition of having a bad day? Yeah. <laughs> and then your buddy, your accomplice, decides to abandon you rather than drive you to the hospital. He drives three blocks away and says, "Well, good night. I'm I'm out of here. Goodbye." <laughs> Just leaves you to bleed to death in the car. <laughs> Not mm -hmm. a good day for the thug. All right, we're running out of time. I'm going to wrap up. Anything you want to add? Nope. Nope. You think that we have a good good good. Uh, podcast today oh yeah oh yeah all right you got some good things going on all right anyway i want to thank all of you listening to podcast for giving up a half hour of your busy day to listen to me ramble on about things i find of interest and importance if you found them as interesting as important as i did i hope you continue to listen if you want to see some of the materials and story links you heard me talk about today you can find them on the jersey joe website at jerseyjoe.com and again jersey is spelled j-e-r-z-e-e -E, jerseyjoe.com uh, if you want to email me just with a comment, question, or suggested show topic, you can do that by sending me an email to simply joe at jerseyjoe.com, jerseyjoe.com. Just remember to spell Jersey Joe with a Z and a double E. And with that, uh, producer Susan, I'm done for the night, unless you've got anything you want to add. Yeah, no, enjoy the, the warm weather. There's about a month or so left. All right. And I'll talk to you next week. You take care. All right. Bye-bye.